As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. Today, we're talking about the people in the beautiful game who are always questioned, often maligned, and whose judgment is constantly the source of controversy. And yet they are essential to the integrity of the sport, and we literally couldn't do it without them. Yes, it's referees. How does one qualify to become a referee? And given the obvious downsides of the gig, why would anyone actually want to? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to tackle this topic, we have Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I jumped the gun. Hello. Hello, Graham Ruffin. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hello, Joe Lowry. Ahoy. Uh, Before we get into this topic, guys, I'd like to know if any of you have actually ever done any refereeing, if you have experience with the whistle at your lips. I have done it but a couple of times uh, for kids at my wife's school. And despite them being maybe like 12 or 13 years old, I found the burden of responsibility very, very intimidating. Taylor, have you ever refereed? I have. I uh, got my my referee's license when I was like 14, I think, thereabouts. That was like one of my first jobs, and I hated every minute of it. (laughs) And and so like, you didn't go work in like a diner or like in a store. You went as your first job to be a referee. Yeah. Uh, cool. Cause it was like the club that I played for used like older kids in the, in the travel program to referee like, like three aside games basically. And then I decided I wanted to wear the, the, the black and white stripes of the yellow shirt and, and get to wave a flag around. And I did that and then just realized how much of it, it does end up being getting <laughs> yelled at and making pressurized decisions yep. when you are a teenager. Was yeah. it right? And going back to when you refereed 12 and 13 year olds, was that, was that in Italy? Please tell me it was in Italy because I'm now imagining all the hand gestures and you just crumbling under the, the culture that is instilled in Italian <laughs> players even at a young age. No, this was in, this was in Charlotte, North Carolina, Graham, where the kids were very accepting of decisions that were made to them. I have been and watched some games at my wife's current school in Rome, and their attitude's a little different when things go, go their way. Yeah. I'll say that. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> Graham, have you ever refereed? No, I wouldn't put myself through that. <laughs> <laughs> Joe? One elementary basketball game. That's it. No soccer. And even the basketball game was awful. Don't like it. 
Okay. Uh, well, Taylor, let's come to you. I, I want to get into, before we get into sort of the path to qualification and how you become a referee, I want to dig into why you would. What's the mentality behind it? Because obviously you say you didn't necessarily enjoy the gig you had there, but obviously mm-hmm. you you felt inclined to give it a shot. And there are lots of people who do that. And I'm seeing there's, I had a stat from 2015, in the UK alone, there's 27,000 FA accredited referees. That's quite a lot of the gen pop, I would say. Um, and But Taylor, you look on, look on YouTube and do a search, you can find countless videos of referee abuse. Even look at the top mm-hmm. level, the very top level. And you can see that there's a lot of punishment that goes on for referees from, from players, from officials. You know, it's a kind of job, Taylor, where if you do it right, you go unnoticed. And if you do it wrong, you're completely pilloried. So it's a, it's a t- difficult one. Why did you feel like you wanted to do it, Taylor? I mean, as a as a teenager, money. It's an easy it's an easy gig. You make a little bit of cash. You spend like your Saturday morning running around. You get to be cool in a position of authority and blow a whistle and wear a watch. It's all very exciting. Uh, but I think once you get to those higher levels where people are actually either it's more players, so it's more to keep an eye on, or there's like actual back and forth. Whereas three aside, it's sort of like a cluster of children moves from one side of the field to the other. You're not really doing that much. I think it just gets there's more pressure to make the right decision to make sure you know all the rules in the moment and i think ryan to your sort of categorization i think there's another one i think there are officials that kind of relish the back and forth a little bit they don't mind some of the abuse i think when it's just over the top and consistent is where like it can be uh way too far but i think there are uh, officials who like a little bit of back and forth who like a conversation about why it shouldn't have been or why it was given and can kind of be sarcastic too i think i honestly especially as a kid just kind of took it personally and was like oh no i've made a mistake that adult (laughs) is saying i did something wrong and in that moment i don't sort of get combative i get like oh i'm sorry well i I, i'm not doing a good job and then i probably ended up making up like makeup calls and stuff and that's not what you want with officials so for me it was like the the pressure of it was was like too much but i think nowadays i wouldn't actually mind doing it again because i think it's a really good way to stay connected to the sport if you really like the yeah. sport. And it's essentially getting paid to go run around for a couple hours and you do get yelled at it. But as long as you can kind of handle the abuse or kind of police the field accordingly, I, I think then it can be a fun thing. And it does seem like it's a whole different world when we have our adult league games uh, on, on Sundays here in Richmond. There's five different fields playing at once and they all kind of start at the same time. They all f- like uh, have halftime at the same time. They all have full time at roughly the same time. And in each one of those breaks, all of the officials will go to their sort of central spot where all their chairs are and all their bags are. And they all kind of hang out and chat. And you can tell there's a whole referee club. So maybe it's also a cool, fun, yellow-shirted club to join. One yeah. one thing I wanted to ask you, Graham and Ryan, about the culture in, in the UK. Taylor, I very much have seen that same, okay, I'm a teenager. I want to go out and ref some games because I want to make mm-hmm. a little money. I think that is the motivation for the vast majority of referees right off the bat. It's a simple way to go out and make a few bucks on the weekend. And then maybe as they continue to grow, either playing soccer or not playing soccer, you realize, okay, I'm, I'm not going to make it as a pro. This is a decent way for me to stay close to the game in a really high pressure and, and face it, unique environment. It's not a, an environment you can find in a lot of other jobs. And I think that's a huge reason why it's an appealing job for certain groups of people, myself very much not included. Grim, what is the culture like in the UK? Is it a similar idea of, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go out and, and make a few bucks on a Saturday? I think so, yeah. I don't really recognise, maybe just because when I was young, we didn't have the... Taylor, when you talk about kind of the referee club and, and them meeting together, I'm not familiar with that, just because our games were all played in 
totally different locations. So we didn't have like the big field, maybe in like Hackney Marshes, Ryan in, in London, yeah. maybe that's different. Yeah. But I, I, I do some, I do often think of refereeing in the UK as like a very lonely thing to do and that would make it difficult. But absolutely, if you are not good enough to make it as a player, which is pretty much all of us, then this is a, a viable route into being part of the game and I haven't done the maths on it but it feels like it would be a more feasible way to make your way up the the soccer ladder and who knows you know in Scotland it's the referees in Scotland and the premiership are part-time so you can do your your your, your day job and still manage or sort not manage sorry referee Celtic games or Rangers games or be involved in Champions League games so it's 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 another alternative route into the game it's not for me but I can appreciate why it would be appealing to lots of people I, yeah. I think Graham I think in the UK as well, maybe I'm being idealistic, but I think there's also a sense of community to it. I think when you apply to be a referee, you get the sense you're, you're giving back to your community in a bit. Because yeah. every community needs referees. Every yeah, absolutely. Basically I, short I, I agree with that sense of community. I, I was more talking about the what Taylor was talking about when with um, kind of referees banding right. together. But I 100% agree with what you're saying, Ryan. And a lot of the referees that you'll get at youth level are guys who are giving up their Saturdays to basically have allow the kid, the kids are kick around. You know, it's altruistic in a sense. So absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah. I have a question as well for, for Graham and Ryan. I, I think I have an assumption that 11 aside isn't as common past a certain age, that it tends to be more like five aside sort of Sunday kickabouts. Is that incorrect? Do you still get plenty of 11 aside uh, sort of amateur games? Yeah, Sunday league's all 11 aside, right, Graham? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, in Scotland, uh, we didn't have an understanding of how kids shouldn't really be playing 11-a-side games, so I played 11-a-side games from the age of about uh, 10 years old. Yep, (laughs) yeah, and and Sunday League, uh, Taylor, is 11-a-side, and it'll be, as as Graham says, you could have very young teenagers right up to people in their 40s and 50s in the same team, basically. There can be a lot of pub teams and things like that. Yeah. Whereas your five-a-sides tend to be weeknights, weeknight leagues. Ah, understood. I got to say... Hackney Marsh, really not a place I ever want to sign up to play. Like, I'm sure it's lovely, but that name alone doesn't really sound like it's conducive to beautiful, free-flowing football. It's it's not the most beautiful area in the world, Tay-Tay, but it is one of the few places in the UK, as Graham says, where there are many pitches lined up next to each other. And some of the best Premier League players have gone through there as well and played there. Like a lot of the uh, the, the, the rise of the South London player. There's an article in The Guardian about that relatively recently and how it, it, it has bred a lot of good, good players. I think, Graham, there was a Nike advert back in the day which had Ian Wright playing on Hackney Marshes. I don't know oh, if that yeah, was... yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. yeah, there you go, there you go. Anyway, we, we, we digress. Why don't we take a very, very short break? And when we come back, I want to know all about the path to qualification to referees on both sides of the Atlantic. Let's do that very shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about the weird and wonderful world of refereeing. Joe Lowry, um, I'm interested in the path to becoming a referee in these here United States. Like, what? Give, give me the lowdown here. Which governing body do you have to go through? What kind of levels do you do? Is there a cost? Lay it on me, Joe. Okay, so let's start with the governing body. So the, the big referee organization in the United States is called PRO. PRO, it's the Professional Referees Organization. A little bit of background, and I learned a ton doing this research, so I, I hopefully know enough to inform folks about this now. Pro started in 2012, and after Pro started came Pro 2, which is basically just the second division of Pro. Think about it like uh, the, the Premier League in the, in the championship or something like that. So they have two separate levels within the same organization. So if you're trying to become a ref in the United States, the first step is to go out and register with your state as a grassroots official and start gaining experience at youth games and at, at, at the youth level. And this basically involves a background check and a weekend-long in-person course, and then it's a whole bunch of practical training from what I could find at this particular level. If you want to progress past this youth level and really take things seriously, the next step is to connect with your local state assigner. And so an assigner is exactly what it sounds like it is. It's someone that is appointed. It is their job to assign referees to certain games and basically to make a big schedule slash spreadsheet that has people going to different places. So all the bases are covered. If you make it up to a certain level at the youth level, so let's say a big youth academy showcase, maybe that's an MLS Next competition. We just had a big MLS Next youth uh, competition in here in the U.S. uh, uh, last week, I believe. So let's say you make it to that level as still just a a youth uh, amateur referee. That's a good chance for you to showcase your stuff as a referee to Pro 2, which is the lowest level of Pro. We'll speed things up a little bit here because I feel like I've been talking for forever. Pro 2 has, uh, once you make it in and are basically accepted into that program, you have access to a bunch of tools, development camps, webinars, self-evaluations, assessments, one-on-one training. So you're in Pro 2. At this point, you are eligible to officiate NWSL and USL games. So a lot of the officials you see, I believe, refereeing in those competitions are are taken out of Pro 2. There's four levels of Pro 2, A, B, C, and D. A is the highest, D is the lowest. You're working your way through the levels, and if you get to A, you're almost to MLS. Once you make it past Pro 2 and are deemed ready to officiate an MLS competition, or I believe national team games in the U.S. are, are a part of this as well, you can go and, and basically be a top-level referee. You make decent money from what I've read, although there aren't a ton of Really reliable statistics online would be my guess. But once you make it from the youth level, the grassroots level, into Pro 2, into Pro, then you're, uh, then you're really making your money at that point. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, anything to add there? Are there any written exams? Are there any requirements for hours you have to put in on the field or anything like that? Yeah, uh, there's a few different things. Uh, I, and I and I spent a little more time on the like youth side of things so I can fill in some, some things there because you have two sort of organizations that are primarily going to be uh, helping you make those grassroots connections and register for those classes that Joe talked about, the American Youth Soccer Association, the AYSO, and the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, and if you go to the Federation website, uh, I think that one is going to end up costing a little bit more money. I think to get your initial license and, ev- and all the testing done and everything, I think it's like $85 here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, but basically, they will do a lot in terms of connecting you with local uh, people who will be scheduling those classes, but also people who schedule the actual matches and the actual officiating of those matches. You have other organizations. There's one for people who want to referee college. There's one for people who want to focus on high school. But since those, I think, don't uh, go necessarily by FIFA rules. They're not affiliated with FIFA, so they're not quite as applicable to becoming a professional referee. Um, 
So I think the the kind of outline that Joe put down is pretty dead on for how you could become a pro referee. Uh, and then with the actual classes, as I understand it, uh, there are in-person courses. There are also online courses, but I think you do still have to do some in-person uh, work to get through there. And then you have an exam at each level. So with the USS uh, license or USSF license, excuse me, uh, I'm assuming this is still current. I don't know how much of it has changed, but I think there were like nine grades uh, up until recently, if not still. And at each one, basically, the, the coursework just gets more intensive. The test is more difficult. And I think you you have fewer options to retake and the like. So you're getting more intricate questions that will be more applicable for maybe higher paced games, older games, professional games, whatever it's going to be. Uh, so yeah, there's some fees in there. There's some registration fees. You got to pay for your own uniform and that type of thing. Then you're taking classes online or in person. You're having some training sessions. Uh, and then as, as you go, they get more and more intensive, I think. But at each level, you are at least going to have one sort of field training session to run you through some uh, scenarios. Okay. And so it doesn't sound like it's terribly expensive, Tato? No, I, I think, like I said, I think it's at least, it's 85 to go the U.S. soccer route here in Virginia, and that gets you signed up for the first course, and that's an in-person course. I'm not sure what all that entails. And then I think there is a fee to stay licensed each year through the U.S. soccer route, through AYSO. I believe it's it's free. Like once you've completed the course or that level, you are just at that level. They may require renewal if you haven't, if you're trying to go up a level and you haven't done that course in a really long time. But I think overall, yeah, it's fairly manageable in terms of the prices they're asking. It's not quite the same as, say, a coaching license where it's thousands of dollars and weeks of your life in another state. Good stuff. Thank you, gents. Uh, Graham, why don't we talk about the UK or perhaps UEFA side of things? Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Premier League has 22 level one referees. So you have different levels. Uh, I, I think it might be 11 levels. Maybe uh, you can mm -hmm. confirm that, Graham. And there's, it's the Professional Game Match Officials Limited, PGMOL, who yes. uh, train, assign and promote referees. Have at it, Graham. Yeah, so there is a lot of overlap in terms of the route to becoming a referee. So at youth and grassroots level, it is uh, codified by the, the National Association, so the FA. So this is from the FA's website on how to become a referee. They say, quote, anyone can become a referee with the FA, granted that you are at least 14 years old and a resident of England. To train as an FA qualified referee, you need to undertake a basic referees course with your county FA. And as I say, it's a very similar path in the UK to the US in terms of uh, contacting your county FA and then you can, uh, can uh, complete the, the entry level refereeing course, rise through the, the levels depending on what further course, courses you complete and how many matches you officiate. And then you once you get up into the professional game, the, the top four division in, in England, then as you say there, Ryan, that's when the PGMOL, which is a professional game match officials limited uh Almost, it almost acts as a union. I almost called it a union there. It's not quite a union, but the, that body would be the ones that control you and they assign officials to, uh, to games. And if you look at the, the, the levels that you have in, in England, so this is, this is pretty common across every country, including the US and in, in Europe, there are different levels that you move through. So in England, you start as a trainee, trainee referee, then it's youth referee junior referee, county referee, senior county referee, supply league referee, stick with me here, contributory <laughs> league referee, panel referee, panel select referee, then you're starting to get into the professional one, so that's national list. Then you've got select group, two, select group two, which is championship and Premier League. Then you've got select group, which is the, the top referees, your guys like Mike Dean and, and uh, 
Klassenberg, they would have been select group referees. And then finally, FIFA referees. And those guys are qualified to be referees at a Champions League level, international level, and they would be the ones that make up tournament referees as well. One one thing that amazed me throughout this research and, and even just, Graham, listening to you talk there is how much goes into this. And I, I guess I should have known more about this, but I, I learned a ton doing my research. And, Graham, just listening to you talk there, there is so much detail involved in this. I was I was learning more about the assigning process, which is pretty much just as complicated as parsing through all of those different levels. It's not rocket science. And the end goal, at least in the, in the Premier League, of assigning referees is to get the right referees who are best suited to any particular game. But the process that the wait, okay, let me see if I got my acronym right, Graham. PGMOL, right? PGMOL. Okay. So the the process that the PGMOL goes through to assign referees is incredibly detailed. So there's an email that comes out on Monday afternoons, most often, telling a Premier League ref, that would be one of the highest tiers on, on the list that you just ran through, Graham, telling them what game they have over the weekend. The board, so that the PGMOL, basically has a merit table where refs and assistant referees are ranked. And those rankings are based off of so many different decisions that have been made in past games. So a match delegate, which is oftentimes a former player or a former manager, a match delegate reports and and actually crafts a report on each ref's performance over each week. So they have specific people designed to rate the referees, basically. Then higher-ups in the PGMOL watch every single game from a referee's perspective and give points or deduct points based on each official decision. And it's basically a sliding scale. The more important the decision and how much it might impact a game, you can be given positive, more positive or, or fewer points based on that individual decision. If it's a random foul closer to the midfield, you're probably not moving the needle too much on that. And basically after that process and after the ratings board has been updated, referees can appeal if they don't think things are fair. Then they also factor in all sorts of things like uh, club allegiances, where you're from, who you know, what your relationship is like with different people. If you've made a high-profile mistake at a certain certain ground, the odds are it's going to be years before the PGMOL puts you back there because they, they kind of know what to expect at that point. So it's just an incredibly detailed process from becoming a referee and actually working your way through that pipeline, although it is also straightforward in that way, to how referees are actually appointed. And it's a relatively similar thing here in the U.S. with the signers going through and making detailed assignments. But man, there is so much that goes into the side of the game that just doesn't get talked about a whole lot. I, I found it interesting that once you get to the Champions League level, one of the stipulations, one of the criteria is fitness levels, which I, I couldn't find in the PGMOL. They, they don't count that as one of their criteria. And I just thought it was funny that depending on the match, you know, if it's Liverpool versus, I don't know, what's a high intensity match, RB Leipzig or something like that, they might not put... Podgy McPodgerson on that match, they might uh, put someone with a slightly higher fitness level on that game. Don't, don't uh, slate Podgy McPodgerson on this podcast, Graham. He does <laughs> a very good champion. job. The yeah. people's champion. <laughs> Joe, it does sound... Very, it's very interesting what you described there, the process of sort of almost the grading of the referee, when it's quite a subjective practice in itself. I mean, we debate referee decisions at the very top level, so it must be... Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining they're the kind of people who would like, maybe appeal their own decisions quite a bit on I the mean, way up. There is a gray area, right? There are some things that are getting increasingly difficult to determine in soccer. But these people are qualified to look at the laws and they know the rules and say, this was the right call or not. And I think, Ryan, you're absolutely right. I think back to the whole back pass offside thing in the Champions League final that we all had so much fun getting to discuss with Real Madrid this past year. 
that stuff happens. And I don't know. I'm not a professional referee to know what the process is like to look at that and determine was this the right call or not? Was it handled properly or not? Ryan, I'm guessing you're right. Those kinds of things do happen. And I'm sure there are some debates within the PGMOL. But I think generally they're going to have a pretty good idea of who the best referees are, who are the ones that generally get those those big decisions right, and which ones aren't so good at that stuff. And I also imagine they would take into certain uh, take into consideration, sorry, certain things like not just only whether they got the the the, the, the decision correct, but how they communicated that and with time, players, how yeah, they moved stuff, through yeah. the process, and whether they diffused a situation or not. I think that will also be part of the consideration. Definitely. Have we got any idea, um, Graham, on? The the way games are assigned, I believe the PGMO will assign games at the very top level. But there's rules about you can't referee a team from your hometown, for example, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I think Joe kind of covered that a little bit there. So yeah. the appointments are are made on on a Monday before the weekend fixtures. Talking about the Premier League here with the PG PG MOL, and um, they I found a direct quote on their website. So they take into account several factors, including the referee's overall experience, their current form, which would be the the sort of assessment thing that Joe went into to depth there on, mm. how often they have refereed the clubs involved, which team the referee supports, and any forthcoming international appointments as well. And then it's similar with the with UEFA and appointing referees for Champions League, Europa League, and international matches. Except they say they also take into account. Fitness levels to avoid uh, Podgy McPodgerson taking charge of Liverpool <laughs> versus RB Leipzig and nationality as well to avoid any bias there as well. Poor McPodgerson, such a talented ref. Um, Taylor, <laughs> judging by what we've heard in this episode and what we talked about last week about uh, how to qualify to become a coach, would you say one is harder, more difficult than the other? It seems like they have both have their own challenges. Yeah, I think it, it is probably like generally speaking easier and cheaper to become a referee i think there's way less glory in it i don't think there's many movies made about the <laughs> successful ref who got that call right i seem to remember billy crystal in one movie was an nba ref who got something right that might be the extent of it whereas there are many 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 more stories about the great coach who empowered the team to win so i think it's a ton more effort to become the coach in terms of expenditure in the United States, but also time commitments and travel and everything that goes into being a travel coach. If you're a travel coach, you're on the road a lot of the time. Even if it's just sort of within your state, you're still spending three hours one way to get to a game and then three hours back with two hours of a game and probably an hour for warm-up. That's an entire day, whereas officials, I think, can travel when there's going to be more money for tournaments, but Largely speaking, I think they tend to officiate in the area in which they live, and that makes it a little bit more more doable. So I think there's definitely trade-offs, but ultimately I think if you want to jump into soccer and make a little bit of money, I do think officiating is going to be the easier option and the faster way to do so. And I would add, at least in my experience around uh, Richmond, uh, the two different youth teams that I coached uh, tended to wait until the end of the season after the season was over to pay you. Maybe that is an outlier. Maybe other t- uh, teams coach sort of or pay week to week or every couple of weeks. But I think with officiating, you are sort of clocking your hours over the weekend or over the week, and then you're probably getting paid a little bit more regularly. So there's that appeal uh, as well. But ultimately, I think it's a really worthwhile thing to do if you want to still be involved in the game, if you don't want to have to kind of handle the physicality of actually playing, but if you don't want the stress management of putting together coaching sessions and coaching a team and dealing with players and dealing with parents, if you only kind of want to get yelled at from a distance by parents or supporters, then uh, maybe officiating is the way to go. 
Taylor, did you ever get any um, difficulties from parents in games, either a coach or referee from the youth, the youth system? I'm just picturing that Sopranos episode where yeah. Tony is uh, yeah. watching a game. Yeah, that's why you don't coach in uh, New Jersey uh, or officiate in New Jersey. <laughs> no, I mean, I, honestly, I don't really remember because it was a really, really long time ago. But I know that I'm a person who, when I get frustrated, will have a go at the, the official. I'm not one to, like, stay there and argue, but I'll definitely have a word. And I think about that and I think about have shoe on the other foot i don't think i would do too well if i don't do well when an opposition player says i've done something deliberately i I like i will kind of respond to that one so i think it is a a thankless job in a lot of ways that you have to kind of handle either the players getting mad at you the coaches getting mad at you the parents or the supporters getting mad at you i think it's the thing that people have to kind of have a thick skin and know is part of the game heading in because i think if it rattles you it's not just honestly it's not just the emotional like oh my feelings are hurt that i'm talking about it's the idea of oh this team is really mad at me i'm not gonna make that call uh this team i've called three penalties against them i can't call one more i think when you start to let emotion dictate your decisions you're going to start making bad decisions. And so I think that can be really difficult for me, at least. And that's why where I would maybe have to kind of put on that thicker skin before I were to wade into officiating. But maybe other people would enjoy that a bit more. I think you have to have a certain mentality and almost demeanor as well yeah, to be a true, referee. True. As as has been well established on this podcast, I am not the the, the most uh, emotional person, but I think even I would struggle with being having to detach all emotion from all decision making and all interaction with players and fans and parents on the sidelines. I'm not sure that even I'd be able to do that. So I yeah. think it takes a, a special type of uh, character it's, to it's, do that. It's kind of cop energy i feel like police energy a little bit of like you have to show up at an incident you have to speak calmly and direct people in a certain way you tend to use more and bigger words than maybe the situation requires for in very technical terminology along the way a huge part about of it is like separating people from each other so maybe walking off 10 yards you got to get people apart to figure out what's going on i think there's there's some some parallels there so i think yeah if you're a person who likes being in a position of authority or or doesn't sort of shirk from that responsibility. I think it can work that way too. Good stuff. All right. I think the other question I had for you, gents, was uh, how much of the old Bobby De Niro's do referees take home? Graham, I think I found the average Premier League referee takes home around $92,000, the equivalent thereof. Uh, I'm assuming people in the park on the weekend aren't making that though. No, absolutely not. Um, so amateur referees in, in the UK, they, they work on a game-by-game basis and their match fee is dependent on the local football association that they are, they've been assigned by. But on average, they'll earn about 20 to £40 pounds a match. And then once you move up through the pyramid into the semi-professional leagues, it tends to be around 80 to £100 pounds a match. Those guys will get their, their travel expenses paid as well, but still not a, a great deal of money. But once you get to into the select group, the, the select group one and two that I mentioned earlier, those are the Premier League referees, championship referees, they're salaried. So they get paid a regular wage with match fees on top of that. And as you say there, Ryan, Premier League referees can earn a, a, a pretty penny doing what they do. They can earn as much as £70,000 a year. There is a, a basic yearly retainer of between £38,500 and £42,000 based on experience. And then they're paid just over £1,000 per match on top of that. In the championship, it's £600. 
per game and this is actually a pretty good deal compared to what referees get in the other big leagues in Europe because the Premier League as far as I could see was the only league in, in Europe that pays its its referees a, a retainer the rest of the leagues and the big five leagues they, they pay by game by game basis the match rate can be a lot bigger so in La Liga for instance referees get 6,000 euros a match so that's obviously a lot more than Premier League referees are getting a game in France it's 3,000 euros a match but they don't have that retainer so they're they're generally not getting paid the same amount that Premier League referees are getting. Excellent stuff. Uh, anyone got any data on the American earnings? Taylor, you did. You, you got some earnings back in the day. Yeah, pretty minimal. I think. I mean, that said, for like a fourteen-year-old, it was it was it was solid money. Uh, I asked around. <laughs> I think for our adult league, uh, the center ref is getting around sixty dollars a game, and the ARs are getting around thirty dollars. I think there are limitations on how many games you're allowed to referee in a day because. At least here, if we're playing on Sundays, you have games at 9, 11, 1, and 3, sometimes even 5. But I think you can only do, it's either 2 or 3 in a day. So it's not like you are making a crazy amount of money at amateur level, and I think those those numbers vary somewhat widely, but not hugely across uh, most state associations. It's definitely once you're reaching the higher levels uh, that the money is better. But I think even in, say, USL League One, I think if you're the center ref, you're making a decent amount. If you're the AR, you are as well. But I think if you're the fourth official, there's a pretty sizable drop off uh, in terms of what you're getting. Indeed. All right, guys, I think we've pretty much covered why and how to become a referee. My final question I guess is the based on what we've heard today. Are any of you remotely tempted to do it or re-pick it up, Joe? I know we, I've got pictures in my head of you and your cute little Footlocker outfit doing a basketball Aww. game, but would you uh, would you do the soccer games? What do you think? How'd you get those pictures, Ryan? Golly, um, no, not a chance. <laughs> Nothing we have talked about has swayed me in the slightest towards becoming a referee. But all the credit to people who are. Indeed, I feel exactly the same way. Graham, do you feel the same way? So when I was young, I really wanted to be good at skateboarding, right? But I was never willing to put in the work to be good at skateboarding, <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. So if you were offering me a job as a Premier League referee earning £70,000 a year, I would be like, yeah, okay, I will actually take that job. I'll take the abuse. I will take it all for the thrill of being at Old Trafford and the Emirates and all the big stadiums and all the big games but I am not willing to claw my way up the ladder to get there. So no, not for me. I'd also like to be a rock star playing in stadiums, Graham, but I don't want to do the hard work to get there either. So I guess I feel the same way. Yeah, same principle. Same principle. Uh, Tete, uh, would you like to get back on that horse? Are you tempted? Yeah, I think I am. I think like later on in life, I wouldn't mind either getting back into coaching like high school level or, uh, or officiating. And I think it'd be fun to do, especially older, to do, to do like, Younger kids where it's less competitive, but maybe the rules are less clear. And so you're kind of like there there are those age groups where you're helping, like not just being like, that's a handball. You can't do that. But sort of being like, oh, let's try that again. You got to do this and sort of teaching along the way that that definitely has appeal. Uh, but yeah, I think anything that kind of keeps you active and keeps you involved in the thing you like a lot. When I'm like 70, I don't know if people are going to love the like how much my thoughts on soccer are going to resonate when everything else is entirely different. And I'm still talking about like. I don't know, uh, Goodfellas references and stuff in, in my uh, analysis. I don't know how, how good that will be, but maybe that will help with my officiating and coaching. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. All right, thank you very much, guys. I'm going to blow the whistle on this one. I realize mm. I didn't check all your studs as you came onto the field for this podcast. I apologize for that. I've got a long way Metal to go spikes, before. Metal spikes, baby. Metal spikes. In- <laughs> Yeah, what are they expecting under there? That's what I always want to know. Anyway, um, thank you very much, Taylor, for your contribs today. Uh, thank you, my friend. Joe Lowry, thank you so much.
Thanks, Ryan. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, We'll have another one on the feed. And if there's any topic you'd like us to talk about, do drop us a line. But in the meantime, we'll catch you later.